The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a very special guest and a good friend of mine, Gabrielle Nosevich. He's the chairman of the board for World Works Mexico and the Nosevich Group. He is a world-renowned trainer in the field of leadership. He has founded several companies and works throughout Latin America. Um, a couple of his companies are Argentina Works, Chile Works, and, of course, as mentioned, World Works Mexico. Gabriel is dedicated to bringing leadership to a higher level and believes that the way you do that is you really get inside the person. And I have had the benefit of seeing him in action and experiencing his work, and it is just such a pleasure to have you here today, Gabrielle. Welcome to Leading Conversations. Thank you, Cheryl, very much. Thanks for that generous introduction. Well, it's just so fun to have you here. Now, where are you today? I am in Southern California. I just uh, flew in from Argentina where I was doing a corporate leadership training, and uh, I'm here for one day. I'm off to Mexico tomorrow morning, but this is where I live, so I came to uh, unpack and repack. (laughs) Unpack and repack. Well, you know, so so is the life of the successful corporate consultant, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, let's talk a little bit about... um, Help our audience understand kind of where you grew up and what your life was like and when you first began to notice that you wanted to do work like this. Okay, good. Well, I was born in the 60s in a small town in Argentina called Villa Maria. And uh, my mom was from uh, an even smaller town. Uh, and at the age of 14, she had to drop out of school in order to get uh, help for her mom, who was pregnant. And her father uh, was raised to think that women were less important than men, which uh, had a very strong impact in uh, in how I started to look at look at things. You know, because when my mom's brother was born, she was dismissed from that relationship with her father, which I found uh, later in life uh, what a painful experience that was for my mom. So she went from being his princess when she was the only child to being my mom's uh, her mom's assistant you know, and doing the dishes and cleaning the house and so forth. Uh, Now, my dad, uh, on the other hand, was born in France, the son of Russian immigrants, that's the Nosovich. The immigrants had escaped from Russia during the Russian Revolution, and they had endured a lot of hardship. So my grandparents had gone from living a life of nobility and privilege in Russia and uh, all the way to being extremely poor, you know, collecting potato peels from garbage cans to make soup and things like that. So uh, 
quite a significant exposure to a wide range of experiences, which uh, ultimately allow you know shaped their lives and mine because of all the things that I learned from them. You know, they were able to transform those experiences into wisdom and lessons that they could share with their sons and grandsons and so forth. So. Um, it was a very diverse background. My, you know, mom's parents were Italian. Uh, my dad's parents Russian, and uh, mm. and had lived in France for many years. So, I grew up in the heart of Argentina in a very very small town, <laughs> uh, but with people that were still holding on to their origins. If you know what I mean. Right, right. So <laughs> their story, no... their their story, and yeah. their history was very important. Absolutely. And it was, so it was normal for me to grow up hearing Piedmontese at my maternal grandparents' house and then hearing my dad speaking Russian to his parents and French to his brother and Spanish to my mom. I thought it was all wow. normal. <laughs> wow, wow. But, but I feel very, very grateful because, you know, it gave me uh, very early on an appreciation and respect for differences. Right. Which I think inspires my work right now. You know, the people the people who were closest to me came from different origins and had different views. So, taking different perspectives became somewhat of a skill that you had to develop in that environment in order to you know get along with everybody. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a lesson that many people around the world could use. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I was. So, and I was uh, go ahead. So, at what point did you? begin to think that, you know, you had career aspirations, you know, what did you begin to think you wanted to do as a kid as you looked to your life as an adult? Yes. Uh, I, uh, when I first realized I was in that environment and I realized that I had, that people would listen to me because I would always offer spontaneously a different way of looking at things. I realized my game was elevating the the, the this course, the 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 view, like looking at things from a higher perspective all the time. Uh, so then, when I realized that I could solve things that way, inviting people to look at things from a different point of view, then I decided that I needed to go out and explore the world and get as many perspectives in me as possible. So, you know, at the age of fourteen. Uh, I went out and uh, asked my parents to support me in uh, going and becoming an exchange student. So I went to the U.S. and lived with an American family, and uh, and I, I went on from there. I left home to go out and explore the world. Um, I created lots of dramas around me. You know, I divorced my host family after four months of being with them. Oh no! <laughs> uh, but I got my divorce experience at fourteen. <laughs> then. Um, then at 19, I uh, won a scholarship to study comparative politics in Japan and uh, earned that um, uh, scholarship and went to Sophia University for a year. I studied uh, comparative politics in uh, Sophia wow. University in Tokyo. And I, t I taught languages in Japan. I, uh, I also became a fashion model there, which made my parents cringe because, you know, the value of a person was intellect. Right, right. So me doing that was crazy, but it was to, to me it was all part of uh, it was all part of you know creating experiences so that I would see different worlds and then be able to offer that perspective for others. Well, how so. interesting that you know the the beauty, which is what modeling is about, right? You know, right. protecting beauty 
um, came into perspective as a, an important piece. And I, you know, I point that out because I see you as someone who not only is highly intellectual, but you really have some of the esoteric, artistic perspective on the world, and you, you show up that way. I really see you showing up that way. Oh, and, and, you know, I, I also see how you help people see that in themselves. Beautiful. I'm so glad to to know that. Thank you for pointing that out. So tell me a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about um, some more of your study because I, I'm curious about your interest in oncology. Talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Sure. I um, uh, Let's see. I went to... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, you know, as I was traveling the world, I went to, you know, after Japan, I went to France for my master's degree, and I got a degree in um, organizational behavior. I realized that um, I became very fascinated with having people uh, experience the fullness of their lives while performing at a high, you know, at a very high level uh, at whatever game they choose to play. Uh, I just became fascinated with people who uh, had a deep appreciation for their own lives as uh, a work of art, and that at the same time could make things happen. So I started studying that. Um, became, you know, really enamored with the idea of um, having, you know, I, at a very early age, I realized that life it appeared to have no real purpose, no meaning. And it oh. was a very hard time. I, I became an existentialist. I started reading Nietzsche and Sartre, and uh, it, was, it was a devastating period. And then, and then uh, I just began to see it as an opportunity for um, uh, creating something, as a, as a space for creation. And why not, you know, dive into it with full force and fall in love with the opportunity? And so I started studying people who actually were modeling that, <laughs> that appeared mm-hmm. to be in love with life and, uh, and making of their lives a work of art. And that led me wow. to really be interested in uh, studying leadership, because I saw people who were in leadership positions who were uh, incredibly uh, appreciative of being alive and uh, and making the world a better place. So I thought, oh, that, that's, that's it. This is the subject of my study. This is what I want. I want to be able to model that and inspire other people to take on those leadership roles. So you say you saw some people modeling that. You saw some leaders that inspired you. Um, are there any uh, examples you can give us? Well, there, actually, they weren't necessarily like... Uh, Famous people. I, I saw. I saw that in my dad. I saw it in my uncle. I saw it in, in people that were close to me. That you know, whenever they were making decisions, they they really focused on um, you know looking at 360 degrees and making sure that everybody was taken care of in the process. And they were always they always had a very positive outlook and perspective. They were. Um, uh, People who valued personal accountability and were able to instill that in other people. Right. Uh, I, and I, it, it, you know, it evolved for me because I understood leadership initially as defined by a series of personal traits that had to do more with someone's ability to make things happen on a fairly significant scale. Uh, 
usually those traits uh, were characteristics like, uh, you know, clarity, knowing where they're going, directionality, but mostly and fundamentally an ability to articulate the goal, the end result, and especially being able to create enthusiasm or alignment so that other people would want to follow them. Uh, that was the traditional way I looked at it. And this model, right. I, I thought the leader was just meant to be clear, direct, able to command respect. <laughs> and for some reason, people were drawn to him or her. And, uh, and it evolved over time into something much more complex, which had to do with you know, people uh, that were able to take third-person perspective and, and actually had a much, much larger understanding of the whole. Well, no, that, that's interesting because, um, you know, so often what we hear about leaders is they have to be charismatic, they have to be able to entertain, so to speak, right? Right. And, um, and, and they're not always the most effective in reality, but right. that seems to be what people are attracted to, though. So do you see this different from that? Yeah, I think that... You know, the traditionally charismatic leader, uh, I, I now see it as someone who is harnessing tremendous energy while working out his or her own internal conflicts, you know, <laughs> right, righting wrongs or making new and great things happen. Uh, it, it would ensure a sense of mattering for that charismatic oh, wow. traditional leader so that he would ask him or herself, you know, why not design a way to transmit this uh, passion or aliveness to those that could make this endeavor happen faster and easier on a larger scale? So some did and still do this instinctively, in my view. But this is an older version of a win-win, uh, slightly right. lesser, less integral, or at least right. not as integrally committed to those following. <laughs> so in well, this particular traditional charismatic leader, the tendency I, I find is to see collaborators as mechanisms or resources or tools. And I, and I think this is still fairly common because I find it I, as I do my work. In my experience, many companies, I, I see uh, this type of leadership where people are placed, developed, positioned to be used for their skills, their talents, their abilities, and like that, as, you know, the same way one would acquire a piece of equipment. <laughs> Right. You know, that performs right. more or less efficiently in a particular spot. So people are often seen like that as property or tools. And I think this is right. archaic. Uh, I, but I have worked with CEOs who appear to be completely uninterested in the, with the interior world of the people they lead. And once I show them the value uh, of actually, you know, understanding what's going on inside the people whom they're leading, they actually catch the bug. <laughs> they actually, you know, and appreciate it and be, and realize how powerful that is. You know. Well, and, and so I, I imagine that they don't just accept what you say, but you have to actually have them experience it, right? Absolutely. Yes. Exactly. I have to model it with them. Right. I think that's one. Right. Well, that's one of the keys. You know, yeah. I, performance seems to be heavily understood as a function of someone's capacity to deliver based mostly on natural traits and, uh, and trainability and like that. But uh, when they really f re realize that an integral understanding of the person has a strong correlation between their level of performance and the way that life as a whole occurs for that particular individual, they love it. They really become enamored with it. 
uh, and they want they want more. You know, traditional leaders appear to be oblivious, in my view, to uh, right. this extraordinary that extraordinary performance uh, is the level of awareness uh, that permeates in a person's life and shapes their interpretation or stories. Uh, it really, really allows or blocks the desired performance, and when they see that, they just love it, and uh, and they see it in themselves. So to answer your question directly, as I model it for them, and they see it in themselves, they want everybody to experience it, right? And they become right. much, you know, more expanded. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and what you're talking about um, regarding one's interior world and how mm-hmm. that affects their view of the exterior world and all the um, experiences they have really, as you say, has been pushed away from a lot of the corporate life for a long, long time. And it's now beginning, there's now beginning to be some understanding that this does really matter. And, you know, Gabriel, we're going to go to break right now, but when we come back, um, I'd like you to share with our audience a little bit about how you have seen, what kinds of, of outcomes you have seen when people have embraced this and then we'll also talk about some of the details of the model itself. Okay, great. We'll be right back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest, Gabrielle Nosevich, today. Gabrielle, we were talking about this whole concept of how an individual's interior world and their view on the outside world affects performance. And you have said that you know, there is a way that you have been able to take people um, to extraordinary performance. Give us some examples of what outcomes you've had. Now, we'll talk later about the details, but what are the outcomes you've had in, in doing this? Great. Uh, yes. Uh, on, a, on a very practical, direct level, uh, I, could quote, I, could, you know, I could mention some numbers. There's a company, a CEO of a company that asked me for support because he wanted to grow and was uh, at a point where he had grown really fast, 
but felt uh, that he was stuck for for a little while. He his company was a very small, fairly small company that he built on his own. That was um, eight million dollars in sales. And I asked him specifically, well, "Where do you want to take it?" And he said, "Well, I want to grow, and I want to grow healthily." And I said, "Well, you need to define exactly where you want to see yourself in a year." And he said, "12 million." Uh, and I said, well, that's very ambitious. Uh, let's work. And we started working on some of the beliefs, some of the assumptions and his view of what was holding him back and so forth. He actually, uh, 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 took the company to 15 million in one year. And, oh. uh, and now three years later, I'm, you know, I still go every six months and I do a company wide meeting. Now, uh, everybody, every single person in the company has gone through my training and I do, uh, every six months a company wide, uh, meeting with the whole company and, and now they're, they're at 43 million in sales. And, uh, we did a, a, a phenomenal exercise in transforming the culture. I took them through, and I've done this now with several companies. I took them through, um, uh, a be do have exercise, uh, I, you know, in defining who they are, and so I involved the entire company, and I facilitate a, a process in which everybody participates. I break them out in small groups so that everybody uh, participates in defining who they are as a company. It's a phenomenal exercise, and then once they're clear on who they are, I uh, I go into well if that's who we are as an organization then what do we do? Let's define the doingness, <laughs> and so we spend uh-huh. like a half day defining the doingness, and then uh, as we do that we go into so what is the ultimate result that we manifest in the world? In other words, what do we have as a result of who we are, which turns into what we do? And the clarity of that process be do have. As you know, as embraced by the entire company, has had a major impact in transforming the culture. So we also, as a company, uh, I, I facilitate the, the creation of rules. You know, once they understand, for instance, the importance of integrity and honoring agreements and so forth, uh, no matter how high someone is in the organization, they're never late for a meeting because they realize experientially the impact. Uh, mm-hmm. that it has on undermining trust and destroying uh, the integrity of the company. So, uh, you know, meetings start, start starting it on time, and uh, people feel very appreciated, honored, and valued. So the values slowly shift as we implement some practices and create some, some ground rules for operating within the company. And it shifts the culture tremendously. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, organizations, um, many organizations over time work on things like that. You know, they work on establishing meeting rules. They work on establishing work practices. And sometimes they stick and sometimes they don't. What's different about this? Very good. Yeah, I love that question because um, it, it goes into distinguishing between transactional training and transformational training. Uh, transactional means I have information on what is the ideal way of doing something, and then I will set up the rules and the processes so that people learn them, and then they can repeat them and, and actually implement them. So 
without a clear understanding and getting underneath what's operating, what the stories are, what the beliefs, what the patterns are, um, it, it ultimately reverts back to being the way that it was before. So I'm finding that there are more and more people who seem now ready for a new paradigm for leadership. I notice that when I share about this possibility, most uh, high-level executives, you know, directors, CEOs have a sudden grasp and a strong attraction to to it. You know, they're becoming much more tuned into the fact that a vision is transcendent, uh, meaning mm-hmm. it has a life of its own, like an idea that belongs to the collective, and whose time right. has come. So it seems to land on them, <laughs> and they actually get this rather than continuing to think that they had a great idea and that they're making that happen. They're actually seeing themselves as architects of an environment that fosters the conditions or creating the conditions that allow for the outcome or what wants to happen. Now, they also seem to get that looking for a 360-degree win-win and fostering trust and, and integral development are essential for long-term growth and sustainability. If they don't do that, it doesn't last. So we're evolving towards more of an allowing leadership, in my view, a less of a make-happen paradigm. The leader sees himself as more like the chosen one to serve the highest good, serve the vision, and everyone who is called to bring it forward. So as they embrace this new paradigm, they do it with more humility in asking what wants to happen rather than what, I, what do I want. It's a much more generous offer, if you will. Do you know what I mean? Well, they, yeah, it's like it sounds like the servant leadership. Absolutely, exactly. That's some call this servant leadership. Exactly, ego is less chastised than or resistant, or resisted. You know, it, and, and there appears to be a, a healthier relationship between oneself and one's ego. I, I think that in this paradigm, people are more and more able to distinguish between their personalities and their more transcendent and essential selves. So they can begin to lead from that place. And, uh, and people, and, and, and it's magical. It's, to me, it's miraculous because um, it's, uh, it, it, people, you know, those who are in that organization actually get that they're genuinely cared for. And that, that makes a huge difference. The, the so leader is, if a leader, sorry for interrupting, if a leader is, has embraced this and is actually practicing this, how are they spending their time that might be different from the traditional leader? Yes, wonderful question. Yes. Um, you know, I used to think that it was more about, I think the traditional leader wants to have more control and be able to uh, manipulate uh, the outcome. I think the transformational leader, uh, in my mind, is much you know, is much more effective at creating the environment. Uh, they need to. Uh, there's a different why. The leader is uh, engaged in uh, playing the game full out in the transformational leadership uh, paradigm, uh, producing a magnificent result. But what has completely shifted is the why, and he holds himself as uh, both. You know the limited needs-based perspective, uh, human, as well as a larger evolutionary perspective where he's the vehicle for something that mm-hmm. wants to happen. You know, he That's can hold... an interesting concept, a vehicle for something that wants to happen, as if the 
the something or the outcome or the result is not something that you make. It's actually you have to you have to listen for it. Exactly. I, th- this is this has been my my most favorite subject, uh, Cheryl, and 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 and. When I'm able to transmit this possibility to uh, corporate leaders, they actually get it, and you know they catch the virus. I, I call it; <laughs> they catch the bug because they <laughs> see it becomes a much easier and more elegant way of uh, of of being in the world when you actually are tuned into what wants to happen and and you see your job as providing space. It. it it, it, it requires the leader to evolve beyond identifying with being an encapsulated ego. You know, he can hold both the perspective of being the one looking from behind the face in his body uh-huh. with human goals and ambitions to satisfy personal needs, as well as identifying with being the entire team. So the needs of others on the team are no longer seen as, you know, holes to fill up in exchange for uh, let's say physical, mental, and emotional currency to keep the system active, which is the traditional way. But they begin to emerge as uh, the evolutionary unfolding of a system that is reorganizing itself into a higher and greater order for the sake of itself. So mm-hmm. it, they see how unstoppable that is when they surrender to this whole new paradigm, where the basic assumptions of causality seem to to shift, you know, the leader is totally, totally engaged in a game and is able to hold both perspectives. And well, you know, I mean, I, and I, it's funny. I find myself saying, "Okay, so tell me what a CEO would be doing with his day or her day. What would be, what would the actions that this person would be taking?" And yet. I understand the paradox is you're talking about being, and I want to know the doing. Okay, great. (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. So because of the shift in being and because of the shift in the why, he first recognizes that the happiness of the person he leads is critical. So, So he is now focused and committed to the personal evolution of each person on his team as much as he is to the cause that he embraces as a leader. So he's not just looking at the end result for the sake of itself. The cause itself is a small why in the larger context of tending to maximizing the possibility of something being revealed that awakens a new order of things. So he's actually legitimately more interested in the full development and the happiness of the people. So he's interested now. So he holds meetings in which he explores the interior world of the people that he's supporting and Uh he's serving them. He sees the way to hold both uh, as part of the same process. He realizes that he he can. So he starts seeing each person on his team as a, let's say, a social, biological, feeling-sensing extension of himself. (laughs) So the meetings that he holds are completely of a different nature. Wow. He, he sees the vision as a much bigger, just, you know, the vision is much bigger than just accomplishing the task at hand. So he's, he realizes that uh, he is there, uh, he appreciates the process, and that he's there to support the unfolding. So he becomes unwilling to take shortcuts. So, in, in other words, in the doing this, he will not sacrifice. When he's, when he's landed uh-huh. on this thing, he will not sacrifice uh, anything that violates the integrity of the process, particularly as so it that pertains. means if it if it can't if it 
means that you won't be expedient, that's okay. Well, he'll find the result- way for expediency, and he'll look for the lesson in it. <laughs> so, so any, uh, anything that pertains to the alignment of the, you know, the accomplishment of the goal with the personal right. development and growth of everyone right. involved is critical. So, and, and what do you tell the board of directors when they're saying, are you out of your mind? Hurry up. We've got stock prices to worry about, and we've got investors who are breathing down our neck, and you're talking about the interior world of people? Well, he. Well, the the point is, I, you know, first of all, usually they bring me on to have to be with the board of directors. So I have, in many of these companies, I've had an opportunity to be with the board of directors uh-huh. and share with them. So they they actually believe in it so strongly that they actually invite the board of directors to participate and look at the the possibilities that that, that, I'm, that I'm addressing, they, uh-huh. because ultimately they get that it it ends up in a higher game, not only from the uh, level of integrity, but an, a, a game that is played with integrity produces more results. So uh, the, the, the view that it actually is sacrificing expediency uh, doesn't hold in long term. Uh, you know, the, the new leader comes from the fundamental belief that life is unfolding exactly as it should. <laughs> So anything that appears to be a problem are really challenges which provide the raw material for the maximum opportunity. And when they see it that way, everything shifts. You know, they become wow. the embodiment of evolution of consciousness, and they hold both at the same time. And I think it raises the level of awareness of everybody involved. Uh, even if he can't really put his, put his finger on it, what I find is even if they can't really articulate it, <laughs> they don't have a complete grasp of what happened. They see the effectiveness of operating from this place. Uh, you know, they see themselves as being moved by more of a mysterious force that informs his behavior and moves much faster, actually, into allowing and creating the conditions that support the outcome that they want. So I can tell, I can I can share with you how I do it with like with, when I take a board of directors and the top leadership. I take them through a five-day uh, training, and I don't know if that, if you want me to share how how they get to that point. Sure. Yeah, let's take a couple minutes and do that. Okay, great. So I usually take the entire team, up to 30 people, through about five days of training, and it starts with asking them to identify their vision for the company, their vision for their own role within the company and how that fits into the vision that they have for their own lives. And this exercise, which they have to do in front of their peers and bosses and, you know, and subordinates, uh, uh, at times is very challenging for them. And more, you know, it surprises me sometimes, people that are very high up and they, they, they find it extremely challenging because they don't want to reveal so much. But while they do this, I coach the entire team on providing powerful, insightful feedback to support the person who is sharing the vision. And it supports them in gaining clarity, and they begin to realize the constraints or limitations they have placed on their own lives and their own vision. And what begins to emerge at that point is a deeper understanding of uh, the assumptions or the stories that have gone unchallenged that have shaped their possibilities. So strong, very strong patterns emerge, and they begin to see how they have uh, been blocking their ability to perform at much higher levels and also impacted their happiness, you know, and their peace of mind. So what happens is 
Cheryl, I find it miraculous because they suddenly see how the patterns are forming a web or a network amongst themselves. And this is what fascinates me because they, they start seeing, it, you know, it gets revealed, a system of limiting patterns that are feeding off of one another. So they identify stories and matching stories or complementary stories, organizational stories, individual stories, group stories that are impacting performance. And they're impacting their growth, and they're impacting their personal satisfaction. And so they feel so liberated when they release the stories and undo the patterns, and they realize, and they apologize to each other, and they, it's just beautiful to watch, you know. And, yeah. and, and on top of that, you know, since performance goes through the roof, <laughs> the end result yeah. is that they want more. <laughs> they want well, and more. some of these stories, the stories are not just about the organization, right? Some of these stories come, people kind of bring them with them when they join the organization? Is that true? It's absolutely true. And also, there people, companies, I find companies are recruiting in support of the organizational story. Oh, so wow. if, there's an, if, there, if there's a story that they don't even know is there, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm bound by confidentiality, but I have worked with huge corporations that I'm not going to name any that have uh, uh, to, to reveal a particular story, but I found in one organization that after working with a top-level executive, they were all golden boys uh, yeah. who could never live up to you know the the expectations of dad. Right. Uh, right. And it was fascinating because they were very high-performing people who felt uh, that they would ne- they were they would never be good enough. Yes. Wow. And even the, and I had some women executive on the team, and they it, suddenly they re, I realized they're revealing themselves and sharing them that they their dad's uh, favorite boy that dad wanted them to be a boy, and they're within oh, that wow. same organization. I'm going, wow, this is a strong strong pattern. Right. So I said I can save you a lot of money in terms of re, you know who you're going to recruit because I already know. <laughs> <laughs> I already know what your story, the organizational story is here. Right, right. It's well, that's just fascinating. That's fascinating. Well, I want to talk more about this story. We're going to go to break right now. When we come back, we're going to learn more about our stories. We'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my guest, Gabrielle Nosevich, today. Gabrielle, we were talking about the power of the story and how organizations actually have their own stories that go on and on and on. Somehow they never die unless there is intention, unless the people in the organization really unearth what are these stories and how are they showing up and how are they getting in our way. Um, are there stories that are ever powerful in a positive way? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, well, in terms of uh, producing extraordinary results, uh, once there is clarity in terms of uh, the game being played, which is critical, I think that people that have or hold themselves as uh, thriving in a challenging environment, uh, that's also part of their uh, you know, interpretation of who they are, uh, it works out fantastic in terms of uh, once the leader knows that this is the type of people who thrive in that environment, then he can uh, uh, attract and create a, such a clear context and a clear environment that it attracts exactly the people who hold themselves as thriving in those type of environments. So, but the key there uh, is the clarity, the clarity of the leader. You know, why I feel like teams fall apart is mostly, usually, lack of clarity of the game that is being played. You know, what is the purpose? What do we measure and why? So I find it critical to articulate a sense of purpose that is broad enough so that everyone encounters their own version of personal satisfaction in it. I I like to compare it to a symphony where we're making music together. So I play one instrument, you play a different instrument, Neither one of us can make music as beautiful as the music that we can make together, and also that the music we make together touches the core of my being, so that I'm deeply moved Mm. when I hear the music. And I know that my instrument adds to the beauty of it, or is even critical into making it so beautiful. And when they get that, when there's clarity as to what piece of music we're playing, it really makes a big difference, you know? One of the keys, I feel like uh, a leader that embraces this paradigm uh, needs to be able to separate competency with uh, people's sense of self-worth or self-esteem. Because people get psychological, and this is back to the notion of stories, about not producing results. So if we we want to create a a game of intensity in terms of producing results... um, they need to. We need to be able to separate someone being competent at a game with the, the sense of who they are. Otherwise, people will use it to be right about some limiting belief. You know, when um, you play, you know what I mean. Yeah. So when you play tennis, for instance, if you lose at the game of tennis, most people won't say at the end, "Oh, I'm worthless." You know, they want so much from me, <laughs> I'll never be able to do this or anything like that. You know, we play tennis because we want to be challenged or have fun. Mm-hmm. And for most people, the more challenged you are, the more fun the game is because it elevates my game to a higher uh, game. And and it's good to have a worthy opponent who challenges me, someone who. Uh, challenges me to be greater than I thought I could be. But most goals in companies are set to, you know, for people to struggle to meet them. I, I, this is what I find. 
And then the efforts that they make are not openly appreciated. And I found that uh, most people use the game to validate some story about how they're not loved or not appreciated. And even some executive leaders use the game to validate stories such as, you know, I cannot trust people or they don't understand me or they don't, I don't have the correct support or even others are incompetent. It's very, very freeing when they actually release these stories. It's, it's just, it's great because they, they see how it's been uh, blocking their success. Are there so a whole team can have, can, can a team have stories that individuals within the team don't actually hold themselves, but somehow when they come together, there isn't a specific story about them? They actually, uh, as it gets revealed in the process, they begin to recognize it. I, I, I call uh, every story has a matching story. And a matching doesn't mean it's like the same story. It just feeds into it. So, uh-huh. so uh, as, as we explore the dynamics of a particular team, we see that stories are being played out on, on each member of the team by each member of the team. So it's a network of stories that are play, being played out. That's where the pattern is like a web that gets revealed. And as people release stories, performance as a team goes through the roof. So, uh, you know, if I have a story that I can't trust anybody, I will unconsciously bring forth conditions that will prove me right that I can't trust the people on my team. And so it'll be, I'll be attracting people who want to be on my team who want to experience to, in order to validate their own story that they can't be trusted. Because perhaps when they were a kid, they were entrusted with some task, and they failed at it. And so then mom or dad or someone, someone influential in their life said, oh, see, you know, I, you know you're worthless. You, I can't trust you. So they made that into an ontological decision of, about who they are. And now they're going to gravitate and find themselves in a place where someone is actually playing out that same pattern on them. When, as a team, they all recognize that that's going on, it's beautiful because they all have tremendous compassion for one another. And they realize, oh my goodness, I have been using these people to be right about a particular story that doesn't serve anyone. Does that make sense? Right. It absolutely makes sense. And I, as I think about um, this whole process, it applies not only in organizations, but I can see how it applies outside of organizations throughout people's lives. Absolutely. And, you know, when you, you hear of people, you meet people, you know people who it seems like they are always attracting the same kind of person into their life. And, you know, from the outside, one might look at them and say, well, don't they ever learn? Why do they keep doing this? Right, exactly. And this makes perfect sense, right? It's just, you know, this pattern is so ingrained. Exactly. And so you, you know, helping them go in and just blow this up, you know, is very powerful. What's the first thing you do with someone to get them to, to see what's there? Well, the, they need to be open, obviously. They need to be, you know, emotionally mature enough to um, allow for the intervention. Yeah. Uh, so I invite, they need to be ready, which includes, you know, open, genuinely, emotionally mature. On my side, I need to be modeling the new paradigm, which means I need to allow the awareness to emerge through creating the conditions. So uh, I challenge them. I challenge unquestioned assumptions through uh, what has to be a very genuine inquiry rather than, 
you know, positionality. I need right. to give up being right in order to um, embrace them wherever they are. And I have to be passionately interested in serving their well-being, their own evolution, and trusting the process. So generosity and compassion uh, are important, but also being extraordinarily firm and committed to the outcome. So I need to expose the multitude of layers at which the unfolding of all these patterns is occurring. And I do it in a very gentle way, but they feel... It's interesting because I, I do it in a very loving and gentle way, and they feel... And they tell me they feel like they are being slapped around and punched for a while until they come back and they see me doing the process uh, with their colleagues sometimes because they come and assist, and they go... Uh, oh, you, so you weren't really doing that. That was my filter. But, <laughs> but when you were questioning and asking yeah. questions, it felt like an attack. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's why it needs, you know, it needs to be done very, very gently uh, because you actually experience it as an affront. So being in love with the process of life is critical to this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and it seems to me that, you know, the power of doing this as a team versus doing it solo, you know, as an individual, um, how can, I mean, how can it work if you just work with one person and they go back to their team or they go back to work and they're seeing all this, but they can't really affect change? Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, I I love that it, it's done as a team because, uh, first of all, the, most of the learning occurs when someone else is in the hot seat. <laughs> uh, uh, they actually have individual breakthroughs, but in order, but seeing someone on their team who can't see what's going on and their part, you know, and they see themselves as part part of the pattern, is great. Because then they realize after they've seen everybody else being in the hot seat and having something be revealed, when they're in the hot seat, they're much more open to listening to the whole team in terms of what's going on, realizing that it's harder to see it when you're in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's supportive of that process. And then, um, but ultimately, they land one of the key, one of the most important things is personal responsibility. That's like probably the ultimate uh, uh, gain, the ultimate, the most important one is to have people fall in love with the idea of them being the architect of their own lives. And this has two parts. You know, it starts with people being clear that they have choice. Mm-hmm. So, so they uh, are the choosers. And in order to do this, the leader needs to make choices available, you know, reveal choices that people have and empower people to think up alternatives and explore the consequences so the choices are legitimately explored. And secondly, once they know they have choice, what's I think critical is that they become aware that in making choices that they're shaping their realities. They're, they're actually shaping their possibilities. So, well, and that is, yeah. that is probably the most, key message here is that we as individuals do shape our reality and do shape our future. And, Gabrielle, I would love to keep talking about this because I know we could go on and on and there's so much more to learn about this, and we're at the end of the show. So um, let's. I know people are going to want to know more. I know that, you know, this is just piques their curiosity. How can they learn more and how can they get in touch with you? 
Great. Thank you for that, uh, Cheryl. Uh, I, they can uh, actually reach me at uh, my website, uh, www.gabrielnosovich.com. Uh, there's a contact uh, information there. Uh, and uh, there's uh, any kind of inquiry. There's a, a, a form that people can fill out there and, and request for more information. And also are some uh, uh, testimonials, <laughs> testimonials and like that. Mm, wonderful. Well, I know that you are a highly passionate, energetic soul, and that comes through in today, just hearing you talk about this, but also I know I've seen you in action, and it's quite a powerful experience. And I, you know, I really appreciate you being here. I love hearing um, people speak about what matters to them, and this is something that not only matters to you, but it's so relevant for our times, and you know, things like this could actually change our world. Thank you very much, Cheryl. I feel very honored to have been in this conversation with you. And I'm always very excited to grow and learn, and I appreciate you. You've been an inspiration for me, and I appreciate our friendship, and, uh, and thank you. Well, thank you. And remember, everyone, to think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide.